five of a seven-week series called The Vineyard Initiative. This is our vocabulary for what discipleship looks like in the Woods Edge Student Ministry. Um, it's seven teachings about the verbs of discipleship. And you guys, they're not optional. If you want to be an effective disciple for Jesus Christ, you put your faith into action. I put my faith into action. Without it, it's like it's dead. It doesn't exist. There's nothing coming out of it. God said, bear fruit. Go and share. And that, was, that requires action on our part. These teachings, they come to us from Isaiah chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. It's four sentences that are just revolutionary. Everything you could possibly need to know about what it is to be a disciple is in these five or four sentences from the Old Testament. This is pre-Jesus, but this is discipleship at its core. Isaiah 5 says, My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, he cleared its stones, and then he planted it with the best vines. In the middle of the vineyard, he planted, or he built a watchtower. And then he carved a wine press in the nearby rocks. And then he waited for a harvest of sweet grapes. But the grapes that grew were bitter. You guys, everything you need to know about discipleship, I just read. Seven verbs, right? Week number one, step number one of being a disciple for Jesus is, as disciples, we got to be willing, able to receive. How are you doing as a receiver? When people give you stuff, are you bashful? Are you shy? You're like, oh, no, no, no. Or are you proud and like, yeah, and don't say thanks? Those aren't healthy ways. Those aren't biblical ways to receive. We need to be great at receiving because God's a giver, and he has more and more and more to give to you in this life. And so we need to be experts at receiving. Um, step number two, week two, we talked about if we're a disciple, we got to protect what God gives us. Do you know there are many times in the Bible where people... Um, confess their faith in the Lord, but then they didn't do anything to follow Jesus. They didn't do anything to change their lives. And then they got to heaven and God was like, I don't know you. Well, well I, I, I confessed and like I, I did this. I, I did stuff, but they never gave Jesus their heart. They never gave him their whole heart, mind, soul, and strength. They never um, obeyed the word. And Jesus is like, man, I'm sorry, but this, isn't, this place is not for you. You guys, we got to receive but we got to protect what we receive. Um, we got to protect our salvation. We got to protect our gifts. We got to protect our purpose. We got to protect our identity. If somebody gives you something invaluable, if I just had somebody pull up in a $200,000 Lamborghini and like said, all right, who can tell me one verb of discipleship? And you said receive and boom, Lamborghini for you. But like, if you don't park that thing under a garage and lock it up at night, if you just leave the keys in it running when you go to sleep, that thing's not going to be there in the morning. We have an enemy who lies to us and is here to steal and kill and destroy. We receive, but we got to protect what we receive. Step three, week three, we talked about how if you're a disciple, you have to, you need to remove your stumbling blocks, remove your sin, remove your bad behavior. Um, there's stuff in your life that's making you trip all day, every day, and you don't even know it, or you do. You need to remove that stuff. If you've got a sin issue that just hurts you day after day, makes you feel ashamed, makes you feel afraid, hurts other people, that's a stumbling block. That's a stone. It's weighing you down. It's keeping you from receiving all God has for you. You need to remove that thing. You need to get rid of it. God will help you. Just ask. But once you remove it, there's this hole. There's this blank space. Well, you've got to fill it, right? You've got to fill it with something good, something beautiful, something perfect. You need to fill it. If you're a disciple, you plant God's word in your heart. I challenge you guys. I beg you guys actively right now. I hope, I pray you're reading your Bible. This book 
You were made to receive it. Your heart was made to receive these words and it will bear fruit. All you gotta do is open it and read it. Think about it. Pray about it. We'll revisit plant real fast. I didn't use this scripture last week, but it's awesome. Mark chapter four, Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like a farmer who scatters seed on the ground. Night and day, while he's asleep or awake, the seed sprouts and then it grows. But he doesn't understand how it happens. The earth produces the crops on its own. First a leaf blade pushes through, then the head of wheat are formed, and finally the grain ripens. And as soon as the grain is ready, the farmer comes and harvests it with a sickle, for the harvest time has come. You guys, we were made for this book. This book was made for us. Your heart is like rich earth. And once you remove those stones, those sins that are weighing you down, you plant God's word in your heart like seeds. And it's beautiful. It just says, if you just read it, if you just receive it, it will grow all by itself. It will bear fruit all by itself. Just obey the simple command of just reading God's word. And it says, whether you're asleep or you're awake, that word is in your heart and stuff's happening. It's growing and you're bearing fruit. We were made for this. All right. So once we've received, right, we've talked about protection, we've talked about clearing the stones, we've talked about planting, and now we start to build something strong, substantial, significant. My beloved had a vineyard on a rich and fertile hill. He plowed the land, he cleared its stones, he planted it with the best vines, and then he built a watchtower. Anybody tell me right now, what's the most popular toy in the world? Legos, that's absolutely right. Who loves playing with Legos? I love playing with Legos. I got a Millennium Falcon out of Legos for Christmas. I spent half a day building it. I smacked my kids' hands. I'm like, this is dad's. I loved it. I loved building it, right? Um, I might post it on social media later today, but do you know there's a website out there that somebody has taken Legos and built 300 um, plus Bible stories and taken pictures of little scenes out of Legos 3,600 photos that go through and share basically the Bible. It's super awesome. I'll share it. It's really fun to look at. All right. So here's a quote about Legos from Forbes magazine. This is the end-all, be-all of financial advice in America. Forbes magazine says this. Legos may appear as no more than a popular child's toy, but for the past 16 years, investors have been able to secure a better return buying Legos or Lego stock than from investments in the stock market, from bank accounts, or from gold. Forbes just declared it's a fact that you can invest your money in Legos and it's better than investing in gold. Lego stock is more valuable than gold. That's crazy. Why is that? Because we love to build stuff. It's the most popular toy in the world. Here's a couple quick stats about Legos. Every seven seconds, nope, that's a lie. Every second, seven Lego sets are sold in the world. So how many seconds have we been in this room times seven Lego sets, that's how many have been sold since we walked in here? A lot, right? Currently, how many people are on earth? Anybody know? Seven billion. Seven billion. That's a lot of people's. There's 7 billion people on planet Earth, and there are 62 Lego bricks per person on this planet right now. So we are vastly outnumbered by the Legos, and if they ever come to life, we're in big trouble. <laughs> Since 1949, when Legos began, over 400 billion Lego bricks have been sold. 
which means if you take all 400 billion of them and you put them together one by one, starting, say, in the Woodlands, Texas, you could build a line of Legos from here to the moon 10 times. That's a lot of Lego. Kids, some adults, spend on average 5 billion hours playing with Legos a year. This year, all the people on earth playing with Legos, 5 billion hours. Oh my gosh, that's a lot of time. You guys need to get some jobs. All right, what's the point? We love to build because God made us to be builders. It's in you. God wrote it on your heart before you were born. I don't care what you like to do. You're a builder. You're a creator. And what is it that we're supposed to be building and creating? In the middle of the vineyard, in the middle of your heart, you as a disciple of Jesus, as a believer in Jesus, are to build a watchtower. It's what you were made to do. Here's the definition of watchtower. Nope, that's just a picture. A watchtower is a type of fortification, usually a freestanding structure. Its main purpose is to provide a high, safe place from which a sentinel or guard may observe the surrounding area. Now the picture. So this is one of the most famous watchtowers in the world. It's right here in North America on the cusp of the Grand Canyon. It's things over 200 years old and still standing strong. And look at it. It's strong, it's tall, it's been through a lot, but it's clearly still there. And look at all you can see from the watchtower. And look how visible the watchtower is from all around. A watchtower, many purposes, but two main ones. It's to see, if I'm up on my watchtower, I can see everything. I can see everything God made me. I can see all the people or enemies that might come and get me or friends coming to visit me. But also, the watchtower is way up high because everybody can see me. Everybody can see the watchtower. Everybody can say, man, there's that watchtower Justin built. That's his. That's his land. It's to see from, and it's to be seen. So when I look at that picture, when I look at a watchtower, some things that I think, it's built high. It's supposed to be high. Why? To see from and to be seen. It's built strong so that if you do have enemies coming, you can go into it and you can be safe. I don't care if a hurricane's bearing down you. I don't care if there's a forest fire. I don't care if there's an army coming. You go in that sucker and you're safe. They're not gonna be able to get you in there. It's built to last. That thing's not going anywhere. That thing's been over there for 200 plus years. That thing will be here when we are dead and gone and dust. A watchtower is built to last. And what's it built of? It's built from stones. That thing was built 200 years ago. They weren't making those bricks. They just walked around, picked up rocks, and built that thing. Now, if you were here two weeks ago, you should know the answer to this, but where in the vineyard do you find stones? Where do we find stones in our spiritual life? Well, we've already talked about it. It's our sin, and it's our answered prayer. It's any time we experience God and say, man, that was God. Have you ever read a scripture, and you're like, man, that is that is deep. That is true. Like, I don't even understand what that says, but my heart is like, oh, like there's something special about that. Have you ever prayed for somebody and everything around you changed? The atmosphere changed while you were praying. The person just moved to tears or freed up from something hurting them. Have you ever seen somebody healed as a result of prayer? I have. Have you ever seen circumstances change as a result of prayer? Do you know that my wife prayed for a new kitchen? 
What does that even mean? Do you know two weeks later, somebody came to us and said, hey, we got these friends. They're getting rid of their kitchen. Do you want it? We got a new stove. We got a granite countertop. We got a new fridge. We got a new oven. We got a whole new thing. She just said, I need to need a new kitchen. And I'm like, I can't afford a new kitchen. I'm going to pray for a kitchen. You go for it. Two weeks later, you want a kitchen? Yeah. Crazy. Prayer works. And if you've ever prayed or heard of someone praying, and you just did, that's an experience of the Lord. And that's a stone. We take our sin issues and our bad behavior like stones, and we remove them, and we plant God's word. But other stones in the Bible are like stones of remembrance, right? They're moments in time where something significant happened, and they're like, here's my stone. I'm going to take this thing, and I'm going to use it to remember that in 2014, this student ministry was all about we believe, so everybody in the student ministry two years ago wrote I believe in this rock, and I'm putting it right here because this is a student ministry that says we believe. This is our stone of remembrance. And this year, we had another one, right? We just said yes to God. This is our stone of remembrance that this year, 2016, we are a student ministry that says yes to God. And God's saying, receive. He's saying, protect. He's saying, remove. He's saying, plant today. He's saying, build. And we, as a student ministry, have already said, because we have got this rock to remember, yes. And you get enough of these rocks together, and you start building them on top of each other, and boom. You start building your watchtower. If you obey these verbs of discipleship, you will build a watchtower. You will build your faith. If you've ever given a hurt to God and he's ministered to your heart, he's given you grace, that's a stone of remembrance. That's for you to say, I, I, I was hurting. I couldn't stop hurting, but I gave it to Jesus and I asked him to give me mercy and that was it. And like he did, you've got a story. If you have ever learned something new about God in the Bible and walked it out and saw that it changed everything, that's a stone. If you've ever done something selfless just because the Bible said, even maybe done something that hurt you just because God said, that's a stone of remembrance. And you start building that up and you get stone after stone and something starts to build. Your faith starts to get strong and visible to everyone and you can stand on it and you can stand in it and be safe. If you've ever conquered a fear because God said, right? God said, so I don't have to be afraid. God said, so I don't need to be intimidated by gossip. God said, so I will not cower. And you have nothing to take credit for on your own. You didn't work out and get strong. You didn't buy a pistol. It's just God said, you got a stone of remembrance. If you've ever overcome jealousy because you've pressed in and said, God, you love me so much. I don't care about this person over here or over there. If you've ever chosen mercy, over judgment. I'm going to stop judging that person. I'm just, you know what? That's their thing. God bless them. Doesn't make sense culturally, but when you do that, something in you changes. I got enemies, and I pray for my enemies, and I've been praying for my enemies this year more than I've ever prayed for my enemies before, and these people in my life, in my family sometimes, they hate me, but the more I pray for my enemies, the more I'm like, I love them. I don't care what they say about me. I don't care if they don't invite me to Thanksgiving. Like, I just love them because I'm praying and something's happening in me. I'm reading the word and something's growing in me that I can't explain. It's the same true for you. Same thing is true for you. Um, if we obey these verbs of discipleship, if we put our faith in action, we will have stories to share. Um, I want to show you guys a clip of a movie called Field of Dreams. And I want you to pay attention to what Kevin Costner hears in his field, and then we're gonna talk about it for a couple minutes. Check this out. 
was that? What was what? That voice just now. What was it? We didn't hear anything. All right. called Field of Dreams. If you've never seen it, I highly recommend it. It's like in the top 20 of movies, like best movies ever made on pretty much any list you look at. It's this super awesome story about this simple farmer just walking through his field one day. And you know, as a farmer, his livelihood is corn or whatever his crop is. And you plant it and you tend it and you take care of it. And when the harvest time comes, you cut it down and you take it to market and you sell it and boom, that's how you make a living. Well, he's walking through his field one day, and he hears this voice, if you build it, he will come. And he's like, what? You know, I'd be a little weirded out if I was just walking on the prayer trail out there, and I heard, if you build it, he will come. I'm just like, who's in the woods looking for one of you guys? And you're like, leave me alone. You're freaking me out. (laughs) But he's just walking through his field, and he hears this voice. And the movie goes on from there, how he just believes, like, I heard this thing, and it said I'm supposed to build something. And he starts asking, what am I supposed to build? And he's supposed to build a baseball diamond in his corn. So he, I mean, it's not time to harvest. So he cuts down, like, a fourth of his crops, and it's garbage. And that, like, he, now he's not even going to make a profit if he has all the rest come in fine. But he cuts down a fourth of his crop and he builds this baseball diamond like to MLB standards and puts up the professional lights and the chalk lines and the bags and all this stuff. He spends a fortune that he doesn't have to build this baseball diamond all because he just heard a voice. If you build it, he will come. He doesn't understand it, but he just believes. All right, this is something. Something's going on. And he acts in faith and builds this baseball diamond and crazy stuff starts to happen. These long-dead heroes of old baseball phenoms start walking out of his corn and playing catch on his field. Like Joe DiMaggio and Shoeless Joe Jackson and the Apes and Babe Ruth and Ty Cobb. These guys have been dead forever and they come out in the prime of their life in their old uniforms and they start playing baseball and they start having games and he's the only one that sees them. And people are like, why'd you cut down your corn? He's like, look at the baseball players. And they're like, you're crazy. There's nothing there. And the movie is about he gives himself to this because he believes something's going on. And slowly but surely, other people are infected by his faith, infected by his belief. And then as soon as they are, they see stuff too. They see what he sees. But other people with hard hearts don't see anything. And the movie goes on. And we're going to pick back up in that movie in just a minute. But it's one of the best movies of all time, not because it's just a great baseball movie, which it is, but because it's a great movie about faith. It doesn't mention God. It's not about Jesus. It's about faith. And it stirs people's soul, and they don't even know why. But we do, because faith is real, and faith is a game changer. And do you know that God is challenging every single one of us in this room the exact same way today. He is whispering to you. 
He is crying out to you. He is calling and beckoning to you. Do you want a supernatural life? Do you want forgiveness you can't explain? Do you want to pray for people and have them be healed before your eyes? Raise them from the dead? Believe. Step out in faith. Take your faith as small as a mustard seed and put it in action. Just be brave enough to to pray for a stranger. Fix a tire for somebody on the road. Give to someone when you don't really have to give and see what I might not do for you. If you build your faith, people will come. Do you know that? If we build our faith, people will come. If we share the miraculous of this book, of the cross, of what we hear at church, of what we read in the Bible, of what we witness with our own eyes when God moves, people will come. He will draw them to us. And it's vital that we speak about it and share it. Let's look at the definition of testimony because that's what we're talking about, testifying to who God is. Testimony, it's a statement or a declaration of a witness under oath. It means this is true, this is what I saw, I'm stating it, and I'm not lying about it. I saw this. It's evidence in support of a fact or statement. It's proof. This is all the proof I need. It, it says it in here. This is God's word. I believe it's supernaturally ordained, given from God on high. This is all the evidence I need. It's proof of what I believe. Or it's an open declaration or profession of faith. I like to use this scripture. I don't think I'll ever get tired of it, but I hope you hear it today like you've never heard it before. Romans chapter 10, verses 9 and 10 declare, they state in no uncertain terms, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's it. If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord And believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you are made right with God. And it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. Many of us have been wrongly taught over the years that it's just about you and the Lord and a private little prayer where you say, Jesus, I need a savior. You know what? That's true. But right here it says that that's the believing in your heart and that's necessary, but there's another element. There's a second part and it is vital. You must also openly declare that you believe in Jesus and that God raised him from the dead. And if you have never done that, I am obeying the scripture here, you are not saved. Believe in your heart, yes, but you must openly declare. Do you know why people are baptized right after they become believers? Because it's an open declaration that, hey, This is me. This is my faith. I don't care who sees it. I believe in God. That's your first and most public open declaration. Do you believe in God? I've never been baptized. Man, you better get after it. There's a pool right there, by the way. I'll do it after this service if you want. We must not only believe in our heart, but we must openly declare. Do people in your life know that you're a believer? Are you saying it? Are you demonstrating it? It's essential to our faith. Are you sharing who God is? Are you sharing and testifying what he's done for you? You should. You need to. Your salvation's on the line. Other people's salvation is on the line. I had a student come to me recently who had a friend that died. Very recently. Life is short. This kid's like 12 or 13 years old. We have one shot at this. 
And thankfully, that student had shared their faith with that kid. You have people in your life that could be gone tomorrow. They could be hit by a car. They could fall and trip and just land wrong and gone. Lights out, they're done. And God will say to me, Justin, your father, when did you share your faith with him? That guy on the street corner, I put it in your heart to share, and you like, oh, I don't know about that, and ran from it. You guys, we have opportunities all day, every day, to share who God is, how much he loves us and everyone. It's our privilege, it's our responsibility to share. I'm going to give you a couple attributes of a good testimony. Any way that you share God, any way that you share what he's done is fine. You can share him through the word. You can share it through someone else's story. But my favorite testimonies are a personal story because nobody can argue with what God has done for you because that's your story. They weren't there. A personal story that highlights that God is real. It's a personal story that demonstrates clearly that God is a savior, that he saved you. It's a personal story that may demonstrate that God's a forgiver and he's forgiven you and he's ready to forgive anybody who wants to ask for it. It's a personal story that demonstrates that God is alive and well and active, that the miracles of the Bible from the Old Testament and the New Testament, they didn't stop there, they're still going strong. It's a personal story that, hey, God answers prayer. So pray. It's a personal story. And like a good watchtower, a good testimony will make you feel safe. If you share a story about God to a friend or a family member or your student body, you'll feel safe because it'll become more real the more you talk about it, the more you confess, and God will encourage you. You feel unsafe? Stand up. Speak out on who God is to you and what he's done. A personal testimony like a strong, tall watchtower will make you feel strong. The more you talk about who God is and what he's done, the more you believe it and live it and own it. The more you talk about, share like a good watchtower that God has done amazing things for you, amazing things for your friends, amazing things in your church and your student ministry. It's like God has given you something firm to stand on. The more you share your testimony, the better you'll be able to see where you've come from and where you're going. And the most awesome thing, I think, about God giving us a testimony, about making us a light on a hill so the whole area can see it, is that a strong testimony will make you visible as a Christian to everyone you know. And everyone you know needs a good Christian to be available to them so they can run to you for prayer, so they can run to you for advice that's way wiser than the ways of the world. God does not bless us. God did not save us so that we can keep it to ourselves, but so that we can be a blessing to others, share with others, so the world can see God's love on display in our lives. We're going to watch the second part of the clip. It's not the second part of the clip. It's another clip. It's from the end of the movie. So Kevin has cleared his field, built the baseball diamond. Baseball players have come, and they're playing ball. Other people have believed, and they see them too. And this is one of the most famous monologues in movie history that you're about to hear here. You know what I'm saying. And I want you to pay attention to the words that James Earl Jones, in his rich, awesome voice, talks about 
He's talking about baseball. What he's talking about is faith. And there's a guy on the scene that doesn't believe, and he can't see the baseball players. And he's like, you guys are fools. Kevin, you're an idiot for what you believe. You're so foolish for what you believe, and you're going to lose everything as a result of believing this. And listen to James Earl as he charges Kevin, don't give up. Stand firm and strong like a watchtower. Check this out. All right, all right, all right, all right. This is fascinating. It is. But the fact remains is that you don't have the money to bring the mortgage up to date, so you're still going to have to sell. I'm sorry, Ray. We got no choice. Ray, people will come, Ray. They'll come to Iowa for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn up your driveway, not knowing for sure why they're doing it. They'll arrive at your door as innocent as children, longing for the past. Of course, we won't mind if you look around, you'll say. It's only $20 per person. They'll pass over the money without even thinking about it. For it is money they have and peace they like. Ray, just sign the papers. And they'll walk out to the bleachers. Sit in shirt sleeves on a perfect afternoon. They'll find they have reserved seats somewhere along one of the baselines. They sat when they were children and cheered their heroes. And they'll watch the game. And it'll be as if they dipped themselves in magic waters. The memories will be so thick that I have to brush them away from their faces. Ray, when the bank opens in the morning, they'll foreclose. People will come, Ray. You're broke, Ray. You sell now or you lose everything. The one constant through all the years, Ray, has been baseball. America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It's been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again. But baseball has marked the time. This field, this game, is a part of our past, Ray. It reminds us of all that once was good, and it could be again. Oh, people will come, Ray. People will most definitely come. Ray. All right. You will lose everything. You will- I had an entirely different sermon written this morning at 6 a.m. When I woke up, I heard Darth Vader's voice, right, because that's who he voices, in my mind, and I rewrote the whole thing at 6 o'clock today for this scene. And so I hope you'll grant me a little bit of cheesiness, but I'm ripping off that speech and I'm taking baseball out and I'm putting Jesus in. And I want you to hear this because this is true. Building your faith, sharing the unbelievable aspect of Jesus in your life and the lives of people you know, just like Ray, it'll cost you something, but people will come. God will bring people to you. They'll come to you They'll come to us for reasons they can't even fathom. They'll turn into our driveways not knowing for sure why they're even doing it. They'll arrive at our doors as innocent as children longing for the past. 
Of course, you can ask me about God, you'll say. And they'll come in with us without even thinking about it, for it's problems that they have and peace that they lack. And we'll sit together and we'll talk about Jesus and the prophets and the heroes of old, and they'll watch and they'll listen, and it'll be as if they dip themselves in magic waters. The truth of God's invisible love in our lives will be so thick that they'll have to brush it away from their faces. If we build our faith, people will come. The one constant through all the years has been God's love. The dream that was America has rolled by like an army of steamrollers. It has been erased like a blackboard, rebuilt and erased again, but God's love has marked the time. This story, the saving grace of Jesus Christ, is part of all our past, and it reminds us of all that once was good and that will be again. If you build your faith, If you share God's story in your life, he will bring people to you. They will come. You guys, true disciples don't just receive and squirrel it away. They're not satisfied with just being saved. Disciples keep building their faith. Imagine the day, and maybe it's today, that you first confessed your faith in Jesus Christ He gave you something. He gave you life. He gave you a place. And you, in that day, you took your first step in building your faith. He gave you something maybe that looks a little like this lean-to, right? It's safe. It's got a roof. It's going to appear any second. There it is. And you've got a place. And that's your faith. And people look at it, and they're like, that's kind of cool. I mean, not a lot of room there, but you've got the essentials, right? But why would you settle for that? God's a giver. He wants to keep on giving to you. Next picture. Now that's kind of nice. I want to go to there, right? I would live there, that beautiful log cabin out in the wilderness. Imagine that first step, that first little watchtower built from just a confession of faith. But what happens when you start reading the word? What happens when you start talking to God? Start working on some of the junk inside of you and start removing some of your sin and planting God's word. What happens when you start having those first initial embarrassing, awkward, but like kind of weirdly powerful spiritual conversations? That's what your watchtower looks like. That's what your faith begins to feel like. But why would you settle for that? That's small potatoes. God's a giver. There's more in store for you. Look at this picture. What? Who would want to live there? I want that. Sweet pool. Buying you in Brooke a house like that. Yeah, you should totally buy me in Brooke like a house like that. But I would rather, thank you, I'm holding you to that. I would rather have my faith look like that. This, no, I didn't say that. You're getting ahead of me, Jeremiah. I'm going to cut off your hand. All right. You guys, that's the kind of faith that we can have. This I attribute to Okay, you're not just reading scripture, but you're acting on it. You're not just praying. You're praying regularly. Um, You're confessing. You're repenting. You're growing. You're sharing Christ, not with just a couple people, but everybody. 
Like you're praying for people as you walk through the store. When you get somebody checking you out at the grocery line, you're like, you know, God bless you. And is there anything I can pray for you about? Like people know easily, man, that person, they're different. Um, People see you. They see your faith and they think, I want that. I mean, I want that. And look, it's big. There's room for more people in it. But now you may go to the next picture. That, that could be yours. That could be your watchtower. That could be your faith. Look how strong it is, how beautiful, how high, how permanent. That will be there long after we're gone. Everybody in the city can see that and know that's a strong place. That's a welcoming place. I want to go there. This I attribute to you're living the word every day. You are not just praying, but you're seeing and sharing answers to prayer. You are strong and confident in your faith. You have this unexplicable, unexplainable confidence and strength and peace in your faith. Everyone who sees you, strangers and other, just know that person loves Jesus. Even if I disagree with them, that person is strong in their faith. Don't settle for the lean-to. Aspire to that. Somebody could die close to you. You could get cancer. You could lose a limb. If your faith looks like that, I don't care. I'm going to heaven. I don't care. I'll go another 10 years without an arm. I can handle this diagnosis. I don't care if those people hate me. My life is about something bigger than what's going on here. This is temporary. This is momentary. We're going to shift gears. Dwight, you guys can go ahead and head this way. There was a word of prophecy spoken over this church two weeks ago in the prayer service. A word of prophecy is like a spiritual promise of something to come. And somebody was there, and they heard this word of prophecy, and they shared it. The elders prayed about it. Everybody agreed. That's true. That's going to happen. And here's the word of prophecy that was spoken over this church, which you're a part of. Something's going to happen at Wood's Edge that's going to spread around the world. That's a cool statement. Something is going to happen at this church that's going to spread around the world. Now, you couple that word of prophecy with the one that I share with you guys on a monthly basis. That word of prophecy that's been being spoken over the student ministry for the last several years, which says the revival that Wood's Edge has been praying for will begin in the student ministry. That's a word of prophecy about you, about this ministry, about us together. Revival that our church has been praying for, that's desperate for, will begin here. And this new word, something will happen here that's going to spread around the whole world. I want to be a part of that, you guys. I want you to be a part of that. And it will not happen unless we grow in our faith, unless we stand up and say, there's a God. He's real. He loves me. He forgave me. He will do the same for you. Let's talk about him. Let's pray. Let's share. What would happen if today, before you leave this room, you decide, you commit, you ask for strength and declare, I'm going to get serious about building my faith. There are three simple things that can make that happen. 
commit today, I'm going to read my Bible every day. I'm going to read my Bible every day. That is easy. We all have time for that. Number two, I'm going to pray every day. Pray about whatever you want, but talk to God every day. Read your Bible and pray every day. Two simple things. Third thing, share Jesus with other people. Share him. You can do it on social media. I don't care. You can do it with strangers. You can do it with people you know, but share Jesus. Share what you hear in this room. Share what you read in the Bible. Share the answers to prayer that you've heard. Read your Bible, pray, and share God. And all of those prophetic words will take place. Jesus had 12. If we had 300 students that declared, today's the day, I'm getting serious. Within a year, it's not the student ministry. It's not this town. It's not the city. The world would change, I guarantee you. That church over there and our God above is looking at us and he's like, whenever you're ready. You want it to be today? It can be today. Oftentimes, we can't make that commitment and we can't make that step because something's standing in the way. I'm going to share you guys a quick story. Um, last winter, a student who I hadn't seen in a long time called me out of the blue and said, Pastor Justin, I need to meet with you. I said, okay. So we met. We sat down. And he's talking to me and he said, I feel convicted that I need to get serious about my faith. But there is something standing in the way. And I said, well, what is it? And it took him a minute. It was a very humiliating thing. It was a very embarrassing thing. This is the thing he was ashamed of that he'd been carrying around in his heart for two years. It had affected the way he saw God. It affected the way he thought God saw him. It kept him from going to church. But he said, I don't care anymore. I don't care if Pastor Justin calls the cops on me. I need to unload this. I need to get rid of this. I need to remove this barrier. And out of nowhere, like I didn't know what he was going to say. Did you kill somebody? Like what's going on? He said that two years before, when it was time to come up and bring the offering, instead of putting money in, he took some money out. He reached in there and selfishly, fleshly, sinfully just snatched a fistful of cash. He took 65 bucks and he spent it on something and had a good time that day. But the next day he felt guilty. And the day after that he felt more guilty. And then he started to feel more guilty. And then he started to feel wretched. And then he started to feel embarrassed. And he stopped coming to church. And he stopped talking to God. And he stopped praying because he's like, I am an unforgivable sinner. But what he did that day was said, Justin, I need to get rid of this. I need to unload this. And so he confessed his sin to me. And he took 65 bucks, which is a lot of money for him. And he put it in my hand. And he said, will you forgive me? And I said, buddy, I forgive you, and God forgives you, and he has been waiting for you to do this. Because you're going to wake up tomorrow morning, and you're going to be free. And he did. He called me the next day. I feel like a different person. I have felt like I've been living under a cloud, under, under a pile of bricks, and I am free because I got rid of that thing. Students, what's holding you back? What's hanging over you? What do you need to unload afresh today so you can receive what God has for you? I want you to bow your heads and we're going to pray for a minute. I want you to leave this room feeling strong and free. So clear your mind. Invite Jesus to speak to your heart right now. That student, everything changed for them that day. They would go on 
and he's still going strong in his faith, sharing the word, sharing the gospel, sharing with his friends, praying for people left and right, praying for strangers, all because he got out from under that sin, out from under that shame. The same can be true for you today. That thing that he was ashamed of is now his testimony. It is now his story. It's what he starts conversations with. You can have the same story today. One of the most powerful, visible things we can do for Jesus is to forgive. That student forgave themselves that day. Here's the question. Who in your life do you need to forgive right now? Has somebody hurt you? Has somebody said something to you that you cannot move past that is like a bitter pill rotting in your heart? Have you been lied about, gossiped about, looked over? Are you ashamed or afraid of anything? If there's somebody in your life that has made you feel that way, If that somebody is you, you need to forgive them. You need to forgive yourself. You will experience mercy and grace and comfort and confidence and strength and freedom like you can't imagine. In your own words, just between you and Jesus, who is he bringing to mind for you? Pray forgiveness at them. Pray forgiveness over them. Ask God to remove your hurt and replace it with love. Do that now. for a spirit of mercy to flood into our hearts. Would you fill that hole that we just made by unloading that burden, by getting out from under that unforgiveness, that poison, that burden. We don't want it anymore. Remove it. Replace it. I pray for strength for these students. I pray for comfort. I pray for peace. I pray that they can look that person in the eye, even if it's somebody in the mirror looking back at them, and know I have forgiven you. We don't need to feel ashamed anymore. We don't need to be scared anymore. We've been made right with God. We have stepped out in faith. Student, if you forgave someone, you have a story to share today. I would encourage you to find that person today. You don't have to explain yourself. Just say, I love you. Maybe you need to say, I'm sorry. Maybe you need to let them know you forgive them, but just know God made you to love that person. God made you to love yourself. God made you to love him. Jesus, we pray for a spirit of love, of unity, of harmony. You're not calling two or three of us to fulfill this prophecy. You want us all. So we all say, I forgive, I receive. We pray this in Jesus' name.